Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,125 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue with our ongoing series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week 7 on a 14-week series from the book of James, titled, Wisdom is Faith in Action. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, kids, for being here with us today. And that good lesson about how we react is so important. And a lot of it is what we say and also how we say it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I do appreciate everyone being here once again as we continue our series in James Wisdom is faith in action. As we continue this series of what I refer to as the Proverbs of the New Testament, the letter of James, last week we talked about faith and works and how they must go together like a hand in a glove. Today we want to look at how that faith and works life, we must learn how to control our tongues or you might hear of zipping your lips in today's more modern vernacular. So if you'll join me on page 1883 of your pew Bibles, we're going to read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today. So join me as I start with James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When you put bits, we put bits in the horse of mouth, mouths of horses to make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships for an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a very small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the, body par among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt, produce, salt spring produce fresh water. And in last week's message, as we went through James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, we saw James, the half-brother of our Lord, zoom in on his central message that real faith produces genuine works. And throughout his letter of James, the probing question holds the whole theme together, which is, if you say you believe as you should, why do you behave like you shouldn't? And in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today, 
James develops that central theme of a very specific situation or direction, and that's in controlling our tongue. No other section in all of Scripture speaks with such clarity and about the impact and the destructive power of our words. We might summarize this powerful passage today in a form of another similar question. If we say we believe as we should, why do we say things that you shouldn't? As we begin in verses 1 and 2, James brings an indictment against the tongue with a surprising introduction. At first glance, it looks as though he's condemning the ministry of teaching in the church. But on closer examination, we realize that he's trying to protect the ministry of teaching. James begins with a direct imperative to his readers. Not many of you should become teachers in the church. And why would that be bad? Well, it's a warning and not a condemnation. And the reason is because teachers, those who have the responsibility of teaching God's truth fully and accurately, will fall under stricter judgment. They'll be held to a higher accountability, as they should be. And why does a teacher receive stricter judgment than those who are just listening or learning? Well, several reasons came to mind. First, a teacher is responsible for speaking the truth and not their personal opinions. I think we've all experienced it where we've had teachers or preachers stray from the truth into the realm of speculation. And they give more of their own opinions opposed to what God's Word says. Second, what a teacher says affects many people's lives. Sometimes on Sunday morning, it's an overwhelming feeling for me as I experience the preparation for God's message. The responsibility to handle God's word accurately can't be taken lightly. Too many people's lives are at stake for me to just get up here and wing it. Thirdly, teachers are expected to live the truth, not just teach it. You see, the real test of teachers isn't what they say in their message even. It's what their lives and their family lives say. The extent of a person's ministry isn't the size of a church. It could be a small church, it could be a huge church. But in the, what counts is the depth of their personal and family life. Teachers must never forget that. James chapter 3, verse 2 can apply to everyone, but especially applies to the teacher. Nobody is infallible. Everyone stumbles in, in many ways. And when we, the teachers stumble, they can cause a whole crowd of people to stumble with them. The tongue of a teacher is an indispensable tool for the gospel, but an ignorant, deceptive, or wicked tongue can be a disastrous weapon. If we are responsible for teaching and have a loose tongue, James says we'll become under God's judgment and an object of God's judgment. Every teacher should consider what James states with uncompromising clarity. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and can control ourselves in every other way. Because there was only one perfect man, which was Christ Jesus, the logical conclusion is that every one of us stumble in what we say. I get tongue-tied up here quite often. I probably say things are getting twisted around. It makes the meaning quite opposite. And we're not talking about maybe getting tongue-tied, but we're talking about what comes out of our mouth on a regular basis. So teachers especially must take warning, these warnings with uttermost seriousness. 
But I want to do, have a couple clarifying remarks before we dig into the remaining of the meat of this passage. James, first, is not condemning teaching. On the contrary, the church so desperately needs willing, gifted, trained, and qualified teachers to teach God's word. James' warning is about hurrying into it without realizing how profound responsibility it really is. And in many ways, I, I'm thankful that I wasn't teaching full-time earlier in my life because it's given me a chance to gain not only Bible knowledge, but also the wisdom of, that life, only life brings. James is warning us not to hurry into teaching. Secondly, James is not condoning silence or promoting silence. He's urging for all of us to have self-control. The self-control begins not with our tongue, but with our heart. And that's what many times we don't realize. And Jesus' word in Matthew chapter 15 sets the proper theological background for James's practical teaching about the tongue in this passage. Jesus tells us that the fundamental problem is indeed not the tongue, because it's only the instrument that delivers the message from what's in our heart. The tongue is that messenger that carries those words from our minds and our heart for others to hear. The tongue is a bucket that we dip into and we can bring out either fresh water or poisonous water. Let me give an example. I have two pictures up here. Let's say that the red represents our red tongues. Right now, they're both clear. Water that's suitable for drinking. And I could pour a glass of water out of one and we'd have a fresh glass of water that which, which could, we could drink. But because we're bombarded daily with the evils of the world, we listen to news media, we read social media posts, we read books, watch TV programs that maybe aren't best for us, it starts polluting our hearts and our minds. So that what we have in our minds and heart is tainted by the world, the filth that we see in the world. And as we then deliver messages to others because of what we have in our hearts and our mind, it is quite a different situation. Now, which water would you want to drink? If I handed you this water, Ella, would you want to drink it? I think not. What about this water? And this is what happens when we fill our minds and our hearts with that which we shouldn't, which is not in accordance with God's word. Our hearts and our minds become filled with the filth of the world that then results in what we say. If we allow our hearts to be polluted by the world, then our hearts will be filled with pollution. So what then pours out of our hearts through our mouth is what we've have consumed. Christ addresses the serious responsibility not only to his teachers because he called the Pharisees blind guides of the blind who were leaders that led their people into the pit. In Matthew chapter 15 verse 14 he said that, but as we listen to Jesus' word in Matthew chapter 15 verses 10 and 11, this is what the scripture says. Then Jesus called to the crowds to come and hear. Listen, he said. And try to understand, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. What defiles you is the words that come out of your mouth. Now that we understand that the root of the problem is really our hearts and not the instrument of our tongue ourselves, 
let's observe some of the ways that James develops his thought regarding the tongue. As we move on to verses 3 through 5, the tongue is a tiny but extremely powerful instrument within our body. James wants to impress on the fact in our minds that we don't underestimate its effects, that it can have both positively, we can encourage somebody and it can be very positive, or we could discourage or curse someone, it can be very negative. And with this, James gives us three analogies about the power of the tongue. The first one is about the horse's mouth. With a small piece of rope, and I don't have any horse material at home, because we really never had horses, but say this is a, a leash that we're going to lead the horse, and we stick it in his mouth, and we can turn the horse whatever way we want. Or it could be just a little small strap of leather that we form into some sort of bridle and put it in the horse's mouth and then direct that horse. Or it could be a metal bit that we put in his mouth. And I, once again, I didn't have a bit, but a door handle works all right. So I put it in my hand, my mouth, and I direct me both one way or another because that pains the horse's mouth. And they know if they don't turn in the proper direction, then they will re the results will be that. In the same way, the tongue can steer us in a direction of a person's life. Secondly, the tongue is like a rudder on a massive ship. Now, Paul and I have had the blessings of going on several cruises, and these cruise liners were huge. Just think of a giant cruise ship that has 20-some stories on it. It's bigger than multiple football fields. It holds 5,000 visitors or guests on it and over 2,000 workers on this ship. But even that massive hull of hulk of steel can be steered by a comparatively small flap of metal. If you get off those cruise ships, you can see in the back there's wee little propellers at the bottom that can turn that massive ship wherever they want it to go. And that's what our tongue is like. The first two illustrations that James has, steering the horse or piloting the ship are neutral. They could have positive or negative results either way. But the third analogy that James reminds us is the potential danger of the tongue. He says in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. And boy, do we like to pontificate on our good wisdom that we have but it's a tiny spark that can set a great forest on fire. And, so, and suppose we take just a little spark. I've been practicing this with this this week, so I so hope it's not out of fuel. But this glowing flame, this little ember, a smoldering piece of ash, and we drop it in the wrong place. And it can burn hundreds of thousands of acres of forest in a matter of a few days. We see this in California every year. Somebody doesn't put out a for, uh, campfire, or somebody flips a cigarette out their window, and it destroys hundreds of thousands of acres and people's homes and people's livelihoods. And by analogy, that tiny spark, our tongue, as a spark, can set hundreds of people's lives ablaze. And likewise, unchecked, it can assassinate a person's character. It can destroy a reputation. It can even turn a church or any other organization into ashes. Our words can build up or they can demolish. The tongue can encourage fellowship 
or it could destroy it. Our mouths can form community or it can fracture it. The tongue is a small but powerful member, just a tiny flame in what our tongue. And yes, it can do tremendous good. Like if we wanted to light our furnaces this morning to heat our house, that's a tremendous good. But that same can burn the house down if it's put in the wrong place. James in verses 6 through 8 further develops the image of the tongue as fire, moving to an even more candid picture, a picture to demonstrate that the tongue is necessary. If we're going to communicate with each other, the tongue becomes fairly necessary, but it can do a lot of harm. It's very dangerous. Observe a couple things that James says in vivid terms in these verses. And he describes that tiny muscle that's tucked behind our teeth. Look at these phrases that James used. It's a world of wickedness, a whole world of wickedness. It corrupts the entire body. It sets the whole life on fire, and it sets on fire by hell itself. What harsh words James is giving to us today. James is saying that there's a full range of iniquity, and it finds its outlet through our tongue because that's how we communicate primarily with others. And think about it. It's virtually impossible to be seething with anger without expressing rage in our words, or bitterness or sour speech if we have a critical and bitter heart. In pride, we prattle on and on with saying great things that others probably don't want to hear or care to hear. Hate explodes from our lips. And the tongue can certainly turn an otherwise gentle person into a monster, a world of iniquity. And the tongue is also connected to hell. And you might say, how in the world could the tongue be connected to hell? Because then it sets the entire course of our lives on fire. In Greek, the word translated hell here is Gehenna. And this word only appears in Jesus' teaching of the gospel and here in James, everywhere else where hell is mentioned in the Bible is used from a different root word. And the word finds its origin and most common usage among Jews who were familiar with Jerusalem. So James' Jewish Christian audience would have caught the meaning instantly. Gehenna. If you look at your insert in your bulletin today, I have a sketch of the city of Jerusalem there. And there at the bottom of the page, I tried to highlight at least, is called the Hinnom Valley. And what would happen with the, the Jews that lived in Jerusalem is they would take their garbage and their trash and bags and buckets and they would toss it into the Hinnom Valley. And as it piled into huge stacks of trash, then they would set it on fire to burn that garbage. And then that smoke would waft back into town. It's as though James is saying, you know that stinky, smoldering trash dump south of town? Our tongues are just like that. We start with our uncontrolled blathering. The garbage in our hearts is set ablaze. And like that putrid smoke that reminds us of the garbage in the Hinnom Valley that wafts back over the southern walls, especially in the lower city where the poor people lived, that smoke came back over those walls. And they were reminded of the garbage that was being burnt in the Hinnom Valley. Our tongues let everyone hear the wickedness that's in our heart as it's set ablaze. 
And this is what James is referring to here about the fires of hell, the Hinnom Valley, Gehenna, where they burnt their trash. James also refers to the tongue as an untamed beast in verse 7. It says, we can train any kind of animals from snakes to elephants, from tigers to dolphins, from lions to whales. And unfortunately, I didn't have any of these to bring in to the service this morning. But a wild tongue resists taming. We can't seem to break the beast. And here's the truth to remember. In James chapter 3, verse 8, it literally says, but no one can tame the tongue. And James isn't talking about subduing sin sinful speech by our own power. As human beings on our own, we don't have the ability to really control the tongue or keep it in check. But if we know Christ personally, if we have God's powers through his Holy Spirit residing in us, then that presence can transform our heart and take complete control of our tongue. It always sort of amazes me or humors me a little bit of those who curse like a drunken sailor at their workplace, but they step into the church and all of a sudden you don't hear it. We have some control over our tongue, but unless it's controlled in every place of our lives, then we're not controlling our tongue. James also pictures the tongue as a restless and evil full of deadly poison. It's as though we have a capsule of cyanide sitting behind our teeth, ready to break open and spread words of death wherever we go. Unfortunately, I don't have time to read all the passages in Proverbs that encourages us to limit our speech, but I'm going to read a couple of my favorites. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Two practical pieces of advice when we feel like rambling on, when we really have nothing to, pertinent to say. Let's remember Proverbs. As we go into the last four verses of this passage, James backs up his arguments with two illustrations after likening the tongue to a fire, to wild beast, and to deadly poison. And it's two illustrations. The first one comes from human experience in verses 9 and 10, and the second one comes from nature in verses 11 through 12. And together, these examples demonstrate that the tongue is necessary. We have to have it to communicate properly or effectively, but it certainly is inconsistent. Sometimes we praise, sometimes we curse. And I think of that illustration, think from your own personal experience. Say you're driving down the road, just cruising along, having a great time. It's sunny out. You're singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Then all of a sudden, some bozo cuts you off in traffic, and you slam on your brakes, and you leave tire marks on the highway. Then all of a sudden, your praise turns to curse, and you say, you idiot! Can't you see what you're doing? And you curse at the person that just cut you off. You're yelling at this guy because he's on his cell phone, and he couldn't have a free hand to signal his intentions of cutting off in front of you. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Can any of you relate to that? I know I can. In situations like this also happens in our family settings. 
and see if you can't relate that to the second example. After a long Sunday morning service, the fa family sits down to a lovely Sunday lunch. The father bows his head and leads his children in a blessing. He thanks the Lord for the food, for the day, and for their home. And shortly after saying amen, then the dad proceeds to complain about the preacher, complain about the church, complain about his job, and everything that's been going wrong in his life. Nothing but complaints come pouring out of his lips during the dinner. And following all that, though, his little daughter taps him on the shoulder and says, Daddy, did God hear you when you said that blessing? And being righteous as he is, he said, Well, daughter, I suppose he did. Then the daughter looks at him again and says, did God hear you when you complained right after you prayed? <coughs> well, honey, I suppose he did. Well, then, Daddy, she says, which one do you think God believed? And James concludes with a second illustration from his point in nature. And when I was growing up on the apple orchard, there was this huge oak tree near the apple trees on the edge of the woods. And at the bottom of that oak tree bubbled up a spring, cold, cold spring water. And as we were hot in the apple orchard picking apples or mowing or whatever we were doing, we'd go over to that spring and drink from that sweet, cool water. And James uses that spring as an analogy. You see, the spring doesn't produce both fresh and contaminated water. It can't. It shouldn't. And the fig tree doesn't produce olives. And the grapevine doesn't produce figs. And our hearts, if our hearts are filled with grace, shouldn't our lips overflow with goodness also? In verses 11 and 12. In James, he says that the product should be consistent with the source of where it comes from. A man who speaks out of both sides of their mouth, one who curses like a sailor during the week and is a model believer on Sunday in church. James talks about this, which we already went through in James 1.8, about that double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. And we'll look at it again when we get to James chapter 4, verse 8. And just as Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 18, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. The sobering thought forces us to ask ourselves, where is this inconsistent speech that we have that come out of our mouth so often coming from? Another example I think of is somebody who's consistently negative, deceitful, or bitter. We have to consider what our tongue reveals about our hearts. We need to think about our speech, and we shouldn't just shrug it off and say, ah, it's just the way I am. We must need and allow this passage that James wrote, not only to the Christians in Jerusalem, but to us. We need to allow it to sink in. And what is the application in our lives? Let's take course, a course on tongue control 101. And we've all experienced it. We've seen irreversible harm done with an uncontrolled tongue, either to ourselves or by ourselves. I've seen the countenance of children's faces that wilt under a father's raging tongue. I've seen the spirit of a new Christian 
had been crushed by the demeaning and debilitating words of an impatient older Christian. I've seen characters assassinated, reputations ruined, marriages ripped apart because of an uncontrolled and wicked tongue. A tongue can be a devastating force of emotional destruction and enormous destruction. And because of the severity of the problem of an uncontrolled tongue, let us consider a few statements to sum up James's practical concern. And one thing James does throughout his letter is he presents a problem, and then he gives us a solution to that problem, if we're willing to apply that solution. First of all, the tongue defiles. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, and James says in these first several verses of chapter 3, that with just a thoughtless word, we can stain an otherwise clean-cut image. The tongue is powerful. And think about it. Say you're in your favorite restaurant and your server comes up. Would they know that you are a gracious child of God? Or have you defiled your testimony with rude comments, complaints, and criticism? Has your testimony been tarnished at work or in other groups you're part of? Or do they, when they find out that you have a relationship with the Savior. So the tongue defiles. The tongue also defies. It resists our attempts of self-control, our resolutions, our self-improvement gimmicks. And with our own strength, this technique simply won't work on a permanent basis. We may be able to control our tongue while we're in a group of believers, but if it's not controlled when we're out with our buddies, then it's not really being controlled. We sometimes casually speak of the Lord Christ as being Lord of our life, but have we made him Lord of our tongues? Have you surrendered your control of this, your speech to, to Jesus? Have you yielded to the Holy Spirit's sanctifying, sanctifying work in regard to your speech? No human can tame a tongue. That's the work of God alone. And with God, nothing is impossible. And thirdly, the tongue displays what you really are. That inner person hiding behind that nice image we project to others always seems to find an opportunity to reveal itself through a slip of our tongue, through an inappropriate word or comment. The fruit of our lips finds the source and the root of our souls. And what is the answer? Well, first of all, we need to stop all attempts of self-control and surrender to God's control. He can quench that raging fire that boils within us. He can tame that snarling beast. He can provide the antidote to the poison, that hellish, hateful speech that too often come from our mouth. James doesn't rail against the tongue or condemn us for what we've done in the past. It's in the past. We need to leave it there. What James wants is to change the behavior of our future. Now would be a time to, in your life to take an appropriate time for prayer. Ask God to change our hearts and to change our tongues today. To change what comes out of our mouth. We must change what's stored in our heart. Psalm chapter 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden my word in my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that reminds me of a Brita filter with a Brita pitcher. Our lives are filled with corruption and pollution from what we take in. But what does God's word say in Psalm 119? Your word I have, I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
And let's think of this Brita filter in this picture as God's word. And as we pour this corruption and pollution that we receive every day in our lives, as it filters through that Brita filter, then it comes out, maybe not perfect, we may have a little bit of residue, but it's certainly a lot more drinkable than it was in this glass or it is in this picture. And that's what God's word does. It takes what we take in during the, the week and from the news service or reading social media posts or listening to people that may not be very savory themselves, and eventually it can wear us down and it becomes part of our lives. But if we allow it to filter through God's word, if we store God's word in our hearts and it filters, that corruption filters through, then what comes out is clean water, water that we can drink. And then what comes out of our mouth after that is pure words, words that others will like to hear, others will be encouraged when they hear it. So the next time you think of drinking filtered water, think of God's word and how it filters the corruption of what we take in during the world through our lives, and it becomes pure once again. So think about controlling our tongues. All of us struggle with it. There's not a person here or anywhere in the world that doesn't struggle with controlling their tongue. So you're not alone. But if we allow God's word to filter what we take in, then what comes back out is going to be much more purifying. Next week's topic, bring, topic brings us back to the subject of wisdom as we explore persons who are wise, unwise, and otherwise. And I would encourage you to read chapter 3 of James, verses 13 through 18, for next week's lesson. I appreciate you being here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we seem unworthy to come before your throne. Because too often what comes from our lips is cursing instead of praising. And the voice we lift up to you in praise is the same voice that we curse others. And this should not be, Father. We understand this. Help us to draw on your strength, to fill our hearts with your word, to permeate our lives so that what goes into our hearts becomes pure. So what comes out of our hearts through our mouth is also pure and encouraging and edifying to those that listen. Thank you for this opportunity to come before you today. Give us strength, not in our own strength, but your strength, Father. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly... I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward. Enjoy your journey and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's word.